This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I talk with legendary solo artist and former Alice Cooper guitarist, Kane Roberts. We talk about what he's been working on lately. We also revisit his 2019 comeback album, The New Normal, and discuss his rise to stardom working with Alice Cooper in the late 80s. Raise your fist and yell, people, and check this out. Well, Kane, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight, sir? Who the hell is this? No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Damn, you're good. Really happy to happy to be here, Mike. Awesome, man. I'm I'm glad you're here. So, uh, 2021. Are you working on any new music? Getting anything ready for uh, release this year? Yeah, um, we we have uh, uh, sort of uh, some interest uh, for some from some other record companies. It's you know enough to make me get back in the studio. So, you know, I've been you know doing a lot of writing uh, with some of the guys that I wrote with on. Uh, the new normal, my last record, and then, you know, I'm just trying to find new new ways to uh, to stay excited. You know, that's 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 the trick. You know, as soon as it turns into a job, I mean, there's a lot of hard work involved, but you know, it always feels good for some reason when you're doing when I'm doing music or doing guitar or singing or whatever. So, um, the the amount of effort it takes is no problem. It's just finding the right focus, and you know, you come up with something. Uh, really engaging really good you know so so it's 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 that's that's the trick is to find that balance yeah definitely well speaking of the new normal you had a long hiatus before that how did that album all come together when i finished the uh, geffen record i did a geffen record around 1991 mm-hmm. and that was uh that saints and sinners record and you know you know, put everything into that we really had high hopes for and then you know the music industry took a quantum shift which is you know, <laughs> fine it's what happens you know like the, the, the first time uh robert plant saying you heard his voice you know on the radio or whatever well uh, the uh the timeline is already moving and it's only going to be there in terms of the number one sound for so long and that's what happened uh, through the 70s with disco and through the uh, 80s with uh hard rock and, and some of the metal and stuff. And sure. so when that happened, you know, I, I'd sort of been burnt out on the industry itself just because all these things happen outside your control. In other words, you know, you, you, the only control you have is making music. If you want to try to be a businessman at the same time, it just cuts into it. I don't know if you ever were in a band, but any, any of the people that, you know, are listening to this that were ever in a band, you get a job at a club, you know, we used to play, in a, you know, Syracuse, you know, which we were talking about, Rome, New York, those, those areas and stuff when I was uh, much younger in, in my, my local band. And so, you know, the big question is, who's going to talk to the club owner? Who's going to work out the money? Right. Who's going to do this? Who's going to make the phone calls? Who's going to get the roadies and all that stuff? You know, and, and once you get into that area, it's so antithetical to the creative process that it just becomes a little bit of a grind and you feel like you're sucking some of the creativity out of yourself. So, you know, to, when you start getting into sort of the big leagues with, uh, you know, MCA and Geffen, you know, touring with Alice Cooper and stuff like that, you got to keep your head above water. And what you start to see is that there's, there's this whole level of things that go on that are kind of bullshit, but, you know, it just comes with the music business and you have no control over So, uh, and that, that even goes so far as in terms of the amount of money you're going to make. Um, for, you know, you get a record deal. My first record deal, believe it or not, uh, was for a quarter of a million dollars. And what you find is once you put the record out, 
you have to pay all of it back, which makes sense, sure. but you've got to pay for the pencils and the paper and the gas mileage of anybody driving around with your record. It, it turns into this huge deal. <laughs> so only the guys that really sort of knock it out of the park ever see any sort of equity return on it. But, uh, you know, for me, none of that, none, none of the creative process and recording ever got tiresome for me. It's just that when there was a big shift in the industry, you know, what was he going to do? Like put on shorts and get tattoos and, you know, try to, you know, do do things that other bands were doing incredibly well, like Pantera and bands like that. They right. just they were just killing it and they owned it. So for me to not be true to what I was doing seemed, uh, you know, disingenuous at best. So I just sort of stepped off. And, and over the course of those years, you know, I kept writing music and I kept, you know, of course I loved it and I missed a lot of, you know, playing live and all that stuff. And then uh, Kip Winger just uh, called me up, and we were talking, and he said, well, send me some of the stuff you're doing. And I sent him some of the songs. He said, you know, you should, you should do a record on Frontiers. And he, got, he was very instrumental in getting me signed to that label. And those guys were very patient. It took me three years to record the record. Um, but, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, the current scenario for music business for, for, for companies like that, very limited what they can do so you know where before when i was on geffen for example i went on a nationwide promo tour i'd fly all over the place every every week i was in two you know two or three different states and, and we'd drive around to you know five or six cities and you know i'm trying to get my song on the radio and you know, you're doing all this stuff well today all they can do is email people you know right. unless they got a lot of money they, they got an email can, they, can you put this record on here can you put the record there you know we got we got uh, we got a little bit of help in the beginning but you know the, the whole record to me the fulcrum for the record or sort of the nexus was beginning of the end with Alice Cooper and Alyssa White Glues and uh, um, Hideki from uh, from ba Baby Metal and, you know, we shot this video, which, which came out okay. It was kind of a nightmare shooting it and everything. But I just don't think the record company has a good sense for, you know, what to do on YouTube. And, you know, mm -hmm. so, and, and it's very difficult. You know, very few companies do. And, and, and as usual, it always boils down to money. So I have no complaints uh, about Frontiers. I mean, I think that they might fucking guts, but, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not the easiest guy to work with, but... The thing is that uh, I appreciate the opportunity they gave me, but that, that was the road to it. Kip Winger was kind of the uh, catalyst for me recording the record. It seems like you and Kip Winger, uh, obviously you played together in Alice Cooper, but I feel like when I listen to your music and I listen to his music, I feel like you guys are kind of like on the same wavelength musically. You ever talked about like doing something together again? Yeah, well, I mean, he played on that record. And he sings backgrounds and stuff. He okay. did... Uh, he did some of the strings and all that stuff. And, you know, we keep talking about doing something, but, you know, the, the music industry is in such a state of flux. And so, uh, you know, everything's kind of going a little haywire at this point. And, and it always, it's always been chaotic for the musicians. But um, so, you know, I, there's nothing about that that, you know, I'm bitter about. It's just like kind of a fucking pain in the ass. So to get all the plates spinning with our lives and everything and to get in the studio and do something, that would be a dream for me. You know, I would love that. The guy's an amazing musician and we like the same stuff. Right. If we talk about other bands, we like the same music. If I play something and he likes it, you know, I, I kind of like it too and vice versa. He'll play me, for example, before he got that Grammy nomination for a classical composition, 
he would play me pieces of it, and I would tell him what I loved and what I thought was good, but not maybe not as good as the other stuff. You know, we just always agree on, on those creative terms. So, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a really powerful uh, record if it was me and, and Kip and maybe uh, Ken Mary on drums. We did a trio thing. It would be mm-hmm. awesome. But, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, business and logistical plates that have to be spinning to get that to happen. Yeah, what's great about the the most recent record that you've done is it I can hear the modern you know influence, but it, there's still that you know catchy melodic Kane Roberts uh, vibe still in there. So I, I'm impressed with it, man. I really like it. Oh, that's that's great. I mean, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that everything I did, you know, was, was just really committed to it. Um, and you know, it's one of those things. You know, you you, you never can know what happened. Everybody, I think. You know, that my uh, fan base, so to speak, which, you know, I'm very grateful for. We're, you know, a lot of them are just kind of looking for saints and sinners again. <laughs> and, you know, so I tried to give, like, you know, a, a bit of a blend. But, I, you know, I can't, I can't sort of force myself to sort of play in a genre. I have to play kind of what I'm feeling right now at the moment. So, so you know, for example, uh, that song, uh, Leave Me in the Dark and beginning of the end and then a couple of the songs I uh, wrote with um, you know Brent from uh, uh, Shinedown you know they, they have it's sort of a blend you hear melodic stuff in it but then it gets really heavy at the same time and that's kind of the way you know I was feeling during recording that uh, you know that 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 album sure well, Kane, you know this is the '80s glam metal cast, and you know we've got to take a time travel, time warp back to the '80s. Yeah, sure. no, I, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to talk the resurrection of Alice Cooper, man, with Constrictor. What was it like being involved with that whole process? Well, it's a strange thing because you know, from a distance, Alice Cooper is an enigma, you know, and and whatever catches your heart that he did, you kind of latch on to that particular era or that album or that part of his imagery and stuff. But, you know, in many ways, he's kind of this, you know, he's an icon, he's a legend, he's all these things. And, you know, uh, when I went down to meet them in, uh, in Manhattan, um, I was, uh, I was upstate New York for a little bit. Actually, I was, where was I? I was at a place called, uh, Kingston for a very brief amount of time I was up there. And then I, I, I was living in Manhattan after that. And I went down there to meet, uh, Shep and Alice and Bob Ezrin. You know, these are all these, these names where you know, they changed worldwide culture with their work, you know, like Ezrin with uh, The Wall by Pink Floyd and Shep with all the bands that he managed. And of course, Alice Cooper. So, you know, you go in there not knowing what to expect. I, you know, and I, I mentioned this before, and I don't get nervous in those situations, but, you know, I, I find it to be kind of exciting. And so I walked into the room, and Alice and I became best friends instantly, and it's, it's very hard to explain. But it was, it was and, and in that light, it was kind of what he needed at that point because he was just coming out of a difficult time at, uh, in rehab. Mm-hmm. So he and I just started writing together. And I, I think maybe the, the, the moment that really struck a chord, you know, with Alice that I said was, if you're going to come back, if you're going to emerge now, you know, at this point in the music industry, at in this point in your career, you can't come out of uh, rehab and, you know, you're doing kind of a, an oldies but goodies thing. I said, it can't, be, it can't be an Alice Cooper that's healthy again. It's got to be a nuclear version of you. 
you got to come out and just, you know, rip the shit. Like as soon as they, the, the first chords hit of, of your songs live and the new album and everything. So, so we started, you know, putting that together. Now we ended up at, with a Bow Hill. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was the record plant in, in, in New York. And we started recording and that's where, you know, I hired Kip to play bass and, um, you know, a lot of great things came out of it. The record itself, um, we, we kind of were opting for, you know, a real drummer. And I think Bo Hill was maybe between projects or something. He was very busy at the time when he was doing our record. So he got this drum machine guy. He's very talented, by the way. The guy's kind of an amazing uh, brain with drum machines. But I think stylistically, I think it was off. So it, mm-hmm. it kind of added, it, it, it made the album, to me, sound a little bit too studio. But Alice and I started really kind of evolving as a writing team. You know, we really got got into it. And we were, we were going all over the country, uh, you know, to write in different environments and, and stuff like that. So um, it turned out to be great because what it set up for us was, I think, the very beginning of he and I really doing something uh, substantial was the, that tour, The Nightmare Return. Oh, yeah. Because we, he and I started to hit our stride and you know when you work with somebody like alice you know you, you there's a lot of you know casual moments where he and i are hanging out we're eating and stuff we were basically living together at one point we're laughing and stuff like that but if he really catches attention and he gets into you know the creative thing it's it's freaking stunning it's just awesome you know and and so you know you can see if, if you watch that video the nightmare returns um what you see is, uh, you know, a bunch of young musicians, you know, playing the intro and stuff. And then when he comes busting through that cage door, it is just the commander is here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it was a great way for Alice to, uh, to sort of bust back into the scene. And, and that was our goal. In other words, if somebody says, you know, what was that process like? Every day that went by, we started thinking more in terms of what kind of powerful re-entry Alice can make into the uh, industry again. And I think, you know, in terms of being a sort of a vicious kind of a violent, uh, you know, perfectly in tune machine, I think uh, Raise Your Fist and Yell, the, the next album, uh, the band hit the ground running. We just came off tour, so we were all just kind of primed to play, and, and we sort of uh, kicked the shit out of that record, you know, really, really well. But, uh, you know, we, Alice and I were happy with both both records. Yeah, Constrictor's the first Alice Cooper album I ever heard, so I mean, I, I obviously gravitate toward that one, but I feel like you kind of hit the nail on the head when you're talking about what went on in the studio, because I feel like when, when people saw you and Alice, and then you saw that tour, it, you know, everything felt very metal, and they always consider, like, Constrictor and Raise Your Fist and Yell as, like, Cooper's metal era, but when you go back, right, when you listen to Constrictor, it seems more hard rock, you know, when you listen to it. It's really not that metal, going back, at least for me, when I listened to it recently. Well, you know, you can, what, what, think of it this way. You want to look at it how I looked at it. I, you know, my all of Alice's past still echoed in my head and I had to make sure that I, you know, I wanted to, one of, one of the things I thought was that, you know, I got to preserve that. But, you know, when you get into the creative process, you just got to roll. You can't be thinking, well, I don't know if that serves the uh, greater uh, purpose here. You know, you can't do that. But just think, you know, while you're sitting there writing, it's about discovery. 
when I was saying, uh, you're the life and the death of the party. Yeah, great song. When he, when he did that, you know, the whole thing, you know, it's just, it's a surprise and it's a revelation and you just start writing them. So, you, can, you know, if you think of those songs on Constrictor, those are all kind of discoveries for the two of us. You know, that's what we're doing. Uh, we were writing on the road, the Raise Your Fist and Yell album. So, you know, songs like Freedom and, and uh, you know, Roses on White Lace, Gale, and we're, those songs, we're like, you know, now we've been together for a while. We're in the, we've been on the uh, killing fields of, of the stage and playing in front of, you know, thousands of people and everything. So, you know, it just kind of gestated into this, you know, this, this kind of bad, evil child that we started working on. And, and I think, I think, um, you know, that's when I say we hit our stride. It's not to undercut Constrictor. It just means, you know, the discovery period was still going on, but we got past that kind of first phase, you know, of like what it's like to, to write and work together. Yeah, I think most fans, if they go toward an 80s album for Cooper, they, they usually do go for Raise Your Fist and Yell. And, and like I said, like you said too, it's more organic, you know what I mean? It feels more like a band and that's probably where it was written on the road and, and all that kind of stuff. So you can hear it. You can hear it on that album. Yeah, it really does change it. You know, I, you know, I always say like, you know, when I was playing clubs around uh, New York and Connecticut, you know, uh, you know, uh, we opened for bands like Joan Jett and uh, Molly Hatchet, believe it or not, and you know, band, whatever came along. We was, I actually opened for Alice in uh, in Poughkeepsie, uh, New York. And, you know, I never met him or anything, but it's, I, hadn't, I hadn't met him yet, but I actually opened for him, which I thought was, was kind of odd. And, and he, uh, um, the, the thing is that, that when you're doing all that stuff, you're like, you're just kind of trying to survive. And then, you know, when you end up uh, um, actually on stage and you do an entire tour, I would say that's where my professional career really began. I mean, yes, of course, you know, the learning stages of playing live and doing all those little things, it, it's one thing. But when you when you do a, a full-on tour like that, you get to see what reality is. That's the, the true value of playing live. You know, you can be in the studio, you can make all the videos you want, but until you're in front of other people playing and you get that sort of orgasmic feeling of communicating with people, you know, with your music, uh, you know, and, and, and when the pressure is gone and basically you're just enjoying it and doing it and communicating, responding as they respond and everything, you know, that's, that's the true mark, I think, of, of a professional musician. So I think that was it for me, you know, that's, that's what it took place. 1987, you put out a solo album. How did this come about? Was this something you were pushing for? Was the label pushing for it? How did how did this? Uh... You mean the the MCA record? Yeah, your MCA one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I always wanted to make a record, uh, just to give you an insight. You know, I'm sitting in my place now. You know, Shep and Alice they flew me to California, uh, got me a car. You know, got me a place to live. You know. I think I got a Camaro. Oh, I can't remember what I got. Sweet. I got some little <laughs> mid-level muscle car, you know, it's silly. And, and I remember, um, uh, what, what the, the, the situation was. Shep calls me up one day and he goes, Hey, can come on up? And so I drove up to his house in Beverly, they up in Hollywood Hills and he sat me down. He said, I, I just got you a record deal. Like that. I said, Oh, really? And he said, on MCA. And he, you know, he went in and he talked to Irving Azoff, who was the president at the time. At one time, he was manager of the Eagles, but he was president of MCA at that point. It was for 250 grand. You know, you, you drive away from, from something like that going, he's like, 
life is really fucking different now. It was a fucking <laughs> thing. I, I couldn't even believe it. And, you know, uh, one of the first times I went out there to, to see Chef before I, I even, uh, you know, I'd already met Alice and hung out with him. But Chef wanted to fly me to Maui uh, to write with Alice. So, you know, he, he I, the first time I met Chef, I went to his house. I, you know, I get out, it's beautiful. It's a mansion, you know. It's way up in the hills. You can see all of L.A. from, the, you know, the, the, the pool, you know, that area in the backyard. And so, you know, Chef comes out from the, from the pool room, and I'm there. And, you know, while he's walking towards me, this naked girl comes running out and jumps in the pool and everything. And I was like, going, yeah, this is me. You know, <laughs> this is going to be fun, you know. And so, you know, it, it was a complete dimensional shift. In other words, I, I didn't. I walked into something that was already existing in such a, a serious pocket of reality, you know what I mean? I just sort of stepped into it. And, you know, it was like this, this jet skin, you know what I mean? It was just, I was sitting there like, uh, I couldn't believe it. And so, so you know, it was one of those things where it was a, it was, it was like a, it was a quantum shift for, for what I had existed for before. It was like a completely different uh, situation. It was totally awesome. So on the cover, man, you know, it's pretty amazing. You're looking like heavy metal John Rambo. Are you a Stallone fan? But what do you think of Stallone? Well, you know, it's a very funny thing. I had no idea that I was look that I look like Stallone. <laughs> and, and I know you're saying like that's got to be impossible, but it's really true. And you know, and I've said this before, so I, I don't want to repeat myself on your interview. But we were on the bus and, and I was reading Cream magazine and. They were praising my guitar playing. They were saying, oh, all these great things about it. And then they, I read Kane Rambo Roberts. And I was going, where the fuck is he getting that? I said, Rambo. And I, Alice looked at him and he went, have you looked in the mirror lately? And I said, what? And, you know, so, you know, he, had, he knew. You know what I mean? I think I was the only one that didn't know. So, And oddly enough, years later, um, I was hanging out with Chef and we made lunch for Sylvester Stallone. So I got to meet him. Oh, yeah, so kind of funny. Yeah, I've always liked Stallone, man. He, I, I always, I dig his movies. Rocky, Rambo, it's good stuff. Oh no, the guy, the guy is is a genius. You can't, you can't maintain that level of stardom and just continuously put out massive hit movies. It's it's ridiculous. It, I've not, there's very few people that have ever accomplished that much. And, you know, his greatest shining example for me as an artist, he was flat broke. He had no money. He was doing little bit parts and mm -hmm. movies and stuff like that. And he wrote a script called Rocky. And he got it sold for something like, you know, I don't want to be inaccurate here. It was somewhere like 200K, 150K. And he said, no, unless I'm in it. So he actually <laughs> yep. walked out. You know what I mean? With that kind of money being presented to him in a first-time script, $150,000, and he said no because he was that strongly committed to being in his film, and now you see the rest of his career. So, you know, as artists, we very rarely sort of display that kind of strength. I've talked to a lot of people, business people, that people would even recognize, you know, some of the bands they worked with, and they've said to me, you know, Kane, you know, musicians will work for nothing. You know, you can get them to do anything. And, and it's really true, you know, because they always end up back. They just want to play. So, so, you know, just any young artists out there, just, you know, as long as you, as long as you put everything into what it is you're trying to accomplish, if you make yourself the best that you think that you can be every day, 
then you owe yourself that sort of strength of commitment to make sure that you're getting into a good business position um, proposition. So it, it may not be perfect, but you know when the quote unquote deal comes along, you know fight with you for what you think uh, is is valuable to you. I, I you know when I talk to young musicians, I always say to them, you know the thing is, you know you think where music started, you know it were we were uh, standing on the side of the road with these curled up shoes with bells on and playing a mandolin and rich people rode by in carriages and threw, threw meat and food at us you know <laughs> it, it hasn't changed you know it's still the same so you you have to you have to realize that you're going into a bloody battle and you know it, it doesn't fucking matter no one can talk you out of it so that's the way it's got to be it's crazy you tell the stallone story i've heard that too because i've watched some uh different you know things on rocky but i was watching something on kiss i'm a huge kiss fan and, and I kind of forgot this story, but I think Neil Bolgart had only heard Kiss. He hadn't seen him. And then when he saw they wore makeup, he was adamant that they he, that they not wear it. He didn't want them to wear the makeup. And Kiss was adamant. They're like, look, we'll just walk away from the deal because we feel that strongly about it. And those are those moments, you know. What if what if Stallone never was in Rocky? What if Kiss never wore makeup? Could you imagine? I mean, the, these were genius ideas. And could you imagine if we just didn't get to see them? That would been, that would have been sad. So you're right. People have to stick to their guns for sure. Well, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with too. Like like you know, people say to me, uh, you know, do you want to play live? You know, and 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 I think you know when you're in your late teens and your twenties, maybe early thirties. You know, you have a different view of of life. You know, it's it's a different thing, and maybe maybe it's because of uh, you know just the ignorance of not being around as long. So you're going to make decisions. You're going to have things that you believe on. You're going to have believe in. You're going to have things that you know your your heart's going to be on your sleeve in a different way. You know, I always say, you know, when somebody's 19, he's, he's a rock musician or a girl, you know, and and they're angry young men or women, yeah, boys or girls, whatever it is. And why are they angry? Well, they're going against the system. They're going to bring down the man. They're going to fight <laughs> for whatever it is they believe in. Right. And then, you know, these musicians are past 50. What are they angry about? Well, you know, they got a bad back, you know. It's, just, <laughs> it's like a different situation. So, so you know, granted, there is a place for everything, and, and I'm not putting it down. Anybody wants to keep playing it. And, you know, that's that's why we're here in many ways, to communicate with people. But it is a different, it's a different thing. Your lyrics are going to be different just because you've spent many more minutes just looking at the world and having things happen to you. And that's the beauty of, of lyrics when they're written by, you know, somebody, let's say, you know, even uh, Billie Eilish. I mean, her lyrics and stuff are, are just kind of, you know, stunning, her whole approach, especially for somebody that young. But it still possesses that sort of new feeling to it, that sort of uh, youthful, uh, uh, you know, blissful uh, ignorance in terms of she hasn't had too much happen to her to get her to be too cynical or too bitter or too, you know, everything she does, although it has a serious edge to it, um, you know, it's still hopeful. I mean, I'm not obsessed with Billie Eilish. I don't know why I'm talking about her so much, <laughs> but, but that, that really is the, the, the way, you know, I think that's kind of the way it works, you know. So you get to the end of the 80s and you're no longer playing with Alice Cooper. I mean, I know you guys always remained on good terms, but what happened with that situation? I uh, just, well, you know, I, uh, was, I, I just got the record deal on Geffen. And so I had to concentrate on that. And Alice started writing with Desmond. 
And so, you know, he and I just said, you know, it's probably better, you know, if I concentrate on my record, you concentrate on yours, whatever. I played on a couple of songs, I think. I know I did Bed of Nails and maybe something else. We actually wrote a song with Desmond and I, but it didn't make it to the record. So it's one of those things where it was very just friendly and it just seemed like the time to move on. Also, you know, um, Alice was a big, uh, I mean, Desmond was a big shift in terms of the, the writing style. So I think, um, you know, some of the people felt that they needed sort of a new band and a new approach and everything. Okay. So, you know, all that happened. But, you know, we we remained very, very good friends. I, I was laying in bed because he was staying at my house in Woodland Hills, California. And I was laying in bed, you know, and he knocked on the door and I woke up. And I said, yeah. And he opened the door. <laughs> he was holding luggage in each of his hands. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm leaving you. <laughs> so we just started cracking up, you know, like he's like breaking up with me. Right, but, right. You know, it, it was sad in a way, but you know, geez, you know, we when we shot the video for for beginning of the end, you know, a couple of years ago, it literally, it literally was like we had never missed a beat. You know, we just it was like the last day we saw each other. So our friendship remains very strong and. and you know, uh, I'd still step in front of a, a bullet for the guy because, you know, he, he taught me so much. Yeah, I mean, the Saints and Sinners album is a great album. And when you think about it, like when I go back and I listen to that and I listen to Trash, they sound like a very similar style. Obviously, Desmond Child was involved with both. But it's kind of like you guys made separate albums, but if you were together, you, you would have been on the same page, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, at Alice and I knew we could do anything. I think we could write in any style, whatever they needed. So it wasn't that so much. It's just kind of, you know, sort of a, a, a life rhythm type of a thing. You know, he and I had been writing together since, uh, hanging out since 1984, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I'm talking about really hanging out. We were doing all sorts of stuff together. So, uh, uh, we weren't having sex. I don't know if that's what that <laughs> sounded like. No, kidding. no, no, but we, we were, you know, we were having a great time. So, so what was it, 90, right around 90 is when we began to, you know, separate. 91 is when I did the Geffen record, and I think that's when he did Trash, or he might have done it a year earlier, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a natural thing. It was good. Now, being a Kiss fan, there's one more thing i got to ask you about. You wrote with Paul Stanley, right? Take it off? Yeah. What was yeah. that like? Well, I, Bob Ezrin called me up, and, and he said, hey, would you like to write uh, with Paul Stanley? And... I said, who? No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I said, I said, yeah. I said, fuck, yeah. So I, you know, I drove up to the house. Paul is a very sweet guy. You know, he's, he's from New York. He's kind of a wise ass, you know, a little bit of a diva. But I, I'll tell you something. First of all, writing with him, he's extremely focused, ridiculously uh, intelligent and skilled. And, and, you know, it was a great experience for me because I would go up there and, it was just about the work, you know? And, and so, you know, we, we wrote, uh, we, I played that riff for, you know, Take It Off, you know, that, you know, playing that for me. And he went, that's it, you know? So we started working on that. And then, you know, Ezra invited me down to the studio uh, when Gene and Paul were there and, and Bruce Kulick was playing the solo on that. Boy, what a, what a fucking great solo. That guy's such a great guitar player. So, yeah, working with, with, with Paul was amazing. And then, this will make everybody jealous that's a Kiss fan. He called me up. He said, hey, you want to go to a movie? 
and we went to see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> together. Nice. I got to see a movie with Paul Stanley. I'm, I'm, that's fucking awesome. Oh, that's so, sweet. Yeah, you know, he's a really great guy. I saw him at uh, uh, one of the rock and roll fantasy camps he did. And, you know, it, it was just fantastic. And I said to him, look, I said, Paul, I, recently I saw the YouTube video of Take It Off, the uncensored version. And I said, dude, your singing is ridiculous, you know. And he said, that was a great time for singing for him, yeah. you know, that, that particular era of that tour. So if anybody wants to check out Take It Off, um, you know, the live version, and just try to find the uncensored one on YouTube, it's really amazing. Paul is, is just off the chain in terms of how, how great he's singing. Yeah, but man, we, we got to talk a little bit about your voice. I mean, you're an amazing singer, and you were doing all the high stuff on those Cooper albums, weren't you? Um, I think that was most. That was me and Kip. You and Kip together, but but I mean, so you got a high voice, like on Freedom. The really, you know, Freedom, yeah. you know that stuff. That's me and Kip doing that, yeah. And then uh, you know, the Saints and Sinners. Um, I I went. Uh, you know, Desmond um, told me I needed to take vocal lessons, so I went to the guy that, that taught um, was Stephen Tyler. And so I studied with him, and it was really weird because he was kind of a Broadway operatic kind of a singer guy. But geez, he gave me these exercises, and I got to tell you something: some of those high notes, you know, we didn't have tuning and stuff back then. Sure, I'm actually hitting those notes, which you know really blows my mind. <laughs> you see me go, what the fuck? You know, I really was in kind of top shape for that for that album, you know. So, uh, so yeah, and you know. I'm, I, I would like to do a, a record, I think, with Kip at some point. It would be fun because uh, it would be great to sing together. And, of course, his bass playing and his sound is, is, is some of the best out there. Yeah, that would be killer, man. I hope that happens. Well, hey, Kane, I really yeah. appreciate your time tonight, man. Anything you want to say to your fans in closing? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just finished that director's cut of the beginning of the end video with Alice and Alyssa, and, and uh, I have another one for, for Leave Me in the Dark. It's a little bit of a... Um, it's, it's just kind of a heavy video, uh, more of a lyric video. So, um, you know, I'm going to put those out there, but you know, check out the album, the new normal and, and, uh, beginning of the end video on YouTube, you know, it, it always helps to have people, you know, go there. I think we're at like, uh, I don't know, like 350,000 views or something like that, which isn't that many. So, you know, it's, it's, it didn't get the, the right promotion in the beginning. So, you know, because you would take it with Alice and Alyssa being on it that just by default you know but it keeps climbing it's been climbing since 2019 so so yeah that would be great and and just uh you know i want to thank uh, anybody who's listening that was a fan or whatever uh you don't know how much uh it means to me that you guys listen to me and and communicate on my facebook or instagram and you know there was a point there where alice and i you know we were talking about how much the audience influences the show it's it's we don't just we don't just perform in a bubble with a shell around us. So anybody that saw us then or anybody that listens to our music now or my music now, uh, it means a tremendous a lot and it has a true influence. Awesome. 
All right, brother. Thanks so much. Uh, that's great, Mike. Nice talking. Well, that to was great here, talking team. with Kane. Take care. A super cool guy indeed. Well, keep an eye on the channel for the '80s glam live cast. Yes, the metal cast has been going live. We did our first one last week. It was a blast. A lot of people joined us. Make sure you look for it this Thursday. The theme will be best concerts of the '80s and '90s that I went to, and you can jump in the chat and brag about the ones that you went to. I'll give you a shout out and I'll read your responses live. Now that'll be 8 p.m. Eastern on 218. Talk with you then. Rock on!